0: Welcome to the Baby Giants Investing Podcast. Join us as we chat about the weird and wild world of small cap investing, all while searching for the precious few fast growing businesses that have a shot at becoming industry giants.
1: This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Podcast guests and their clients may maintain positions in the securities
2: discussed in this podcast.
0: Giants Investing Podcast. My name is Matt Joss. Today, joining me, we have my esteemed co-host Andrew Page. How are you doing, Andrew?
2: Oh, I'm very good, sir. Esteemed very good. Once again, esteemed, I like it.
0: And we have this time joining again, Kev Fung. How are you going, Kev?
1: Matt, doing really well. Uh, glad to see you guys again. Missed you. Uh, missed you both. Good uh, to have uh, have you back, you too, Kev. Good to have you yeah. back. Uh, good little break. Excellent, excellent.
0: Um, I'm on a research trip to New Zealand at the moment, so hopefully I've got some blazingly fast internet to uh, hopefully drop out, and it <laughs> doesn't. Hopefully, it doesn't go terribly <laughs> wrong in the next few minutes. Maybe that
2: you shared that with me the other day was it 200 megabits a second or something?
0: Yeah, it's like 250, but that's the lowest plan that the um, provider has. Whoa. The fastest is a gigabit per second, which just blew me away. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I should. Have. It's fiber to the home. Everyone's got fiber to the home. It's just
2: we could have know. had it. <laughs> Could have been we us. We
1: don't have that at no. <laughs> where we are.
2: <laughs> I get about 50 and, you know. Yeah. I actually yeah, thought I it was okay so until problems. you told me. I think that's why me.
0: I was like so excited about it because I just had so many problems in Sydney with that.
2: I was going to say I was actually thought my was reasonable mm. until you told me what you got and it's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty crazy. There's a metaphor there for the human condition, I'm sure.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So today we're talking about topics including the interest rate rise, RBA's first rise in a while. Um, is it first rise in eleven years? Did I read that correctly? Anyway, we'll a bit get over to that ten. Mm. A bit over ten. There you go. Um, kogan's news. a uh, Few were covered before. Ava risk. Daba Pointera. And why Charlie Munger thinks that Andrew Page has done something stupid, evil, and makes <laughs> him look bad. <laughs> All that and more. Stay tuned. So yeah, no thanks for tuning in. Maybe, maybe we'll come back to that one. Um, maybe we kick off with the interest rate rise. What do you guys? Uh, what do you guys think? So it's gone from ten bps to. Th- 35 bps. So, pretty monstrous interest rates now. No, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Obviously, it's still pretty <laughs> low. Andrew, what do you reckon? This could be this could be good for your um your your forecast for property prices, it seems. I think a lot of people are already talking about property prices coming down as a result.
2: Yeah. Look, I I'm 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 um battered and bruised enough to to not start like doing any kind of victory lap. Look, it was a bit it was a bit of a, more of an increase. I think that people are expecting it to go up to by, up by 0.15 to 0.25 so it's a little bit more than that i i don't know i find it interesting in a lot of ways there's a lot of when you watch the news uh, in re- response to that it's sort of like oh the average mortgage holder is now having to pay something like 60 bucks extra a month and you know a lot of like the sky is falling kind of stuff and it just makes you wonder it's like wow really like if if that is how close <laughs> people are sailing yeah um and it's kind of this, it's one of these topics where you sort of choose your narrative whatever whatever sort of prejudice you want to take into this debate you'll find a bunch of really good stuff to sort of support your case so let me let me take the other side because someone just this morning on twitter accused me of talking down the property market so let me
0: you're yeah. the one that did it by the way after the multi-trillion dollar property market falls <laughs> i'd love to have that
2: influence <laughs> i love yeah. the idea that someone
0: does blame you for it though like uh like on hot copper when you get these, these down rampers it's the bot traders
2: it's yeah. sort of, anyway sorry. Oh, the real have, master. <laughs> yeah to have such power imagine it um uh, so, a lot of people are ahead on their payments, right? And mm. like if you bought five years ago, I mean, you're laughing, really. It's sort of, there's there's a lot of people that's that, that are going to be, I mean, look, no one wants to pay more on their mortgage, but I think for a very significant number of people, it's, it's going to be just fine. The interesting thing is with all markets, whether it's property or NFTs or whatever, is that price is, price is determined on the margin. And when you look at the lower quartile of loans and stuff out there, I read a stat or something the other day. It said something like, uh, I think it was one in four loans taken out over the last two years were more than a price to household income of six and, or with a deposit of less than, than
0: 10%. More than a quarter of loans are with a deposit less than 10% or? A-
2: or on a price to income multiple of more than six. So what what that sort of puts them into, what's the word for it? Yeah, territory. Let's Let's use the technical term. And so it's kind of I think that's that's the interesting thing. So I, I think you can you can have both of those thoughts in your mind at the same time, isn't that? A lot of people will be okay. And let's face it if you're if you're living in a house and you're probably going to live there for decades or so, it's probably not really matters too much what happens, so long as you can afford to to maintain um, your your repayments and the rest of it. But in terms of what happens to the market, it, it could have an impact. And it's not it's not this point two five percent rise that that is 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 the um, worry here. It's the fact that the markets are forecasting this to go much higher. In a year's time, we're looking at a, at a cash rate of around 2%. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think that's, it, isn't it I saw something 2.5% by next year, but it was different people. And
2: again, we have to be careful with that too. Like, all of the smartest people in the room, like six months ago, were saying we're not having an interest rate rise until 2024. And it's, it's, not a, it's not a recent phenomena. It's just like whenever you look at interest rate predictions, whether it's the RBA itself, whether it's bank economists, whether it's the market, it's always wrong. Like it's like almost always wrong. And yet we always go, oh, oh. we sort of like treat it as fact until we, and then we get surprised. And it's like, I don't know how many times we sort of have to be tricked by this. And I, I put myself into this camp as well. So I, I've just said, oh, you know, everyone expects, expects it to go to two, two and a half percent next year. Who knows? Who knows what yeah. it's going to do? but i think that what you can say is that if it does uh it's it's not going to be great for prices i mean mm-hmm. th- but the other the other thing is well even if even if we, you know let's not get totally dark here and as if there's there's not heaps of force selling and the rest of it it's certainly going to have an impact on consumer sentiment and confidence and that's going to have an impact on discretionary spending you know so it's a really delicate line I mean, but but yeah. what, if the RBA doesn't do it now, when unemployment is super low yeah. and the economy is going really strong, and we're at point 0.1% emergency rates, like if not now, when? Um, yeah. No, I agree it's diabolical. You
0: know. I saw an interesting thing Jonathan Shapiro wrote in the AFR. Shout out to Jono if you're if you're listening to this podcast I don't know if he is. <laughs> um, but he wrote an interesting thing uh, about Victor Schwetz, who is the Macquarie's global head of strategy. His view is that basically that rates are going to be backpedalling within twelve months. That he he expects the rises to cause the economies to slow he's kind of speaking at global level not necessarily australia i think they're probably more focused on the US, but i can see an interesting take that um that it all could start to reverse more quickly we've got a lot of debt now so we're very sensitive to any interest rate moves as we've already started to see
2: i would i would argue it's this is the it's it's how particularly here in australia is what makes it so tricky i mean we really should have had more um macro prudential controls so that it's not just this blunt, dumb instrument of interest rates mm-hmm. having to do all the heavy lifting, because inflation is a problem, and you know that's what you what you need to do to sort of tame that, is sort of push push up the, the cost of credit. Sorry, yeah. one one other little uh, take on it that I saw that was interesting is that you've sort of got supply versus demand led inflation, and you could argue that this is probably, on balance, more of a supply. Um, influenced inflation in which case interest rates are less effective under that dynamic as well mm-hmm. just to make a very complicated situation even more complex
0: yeah i think the standard thing is you just shouldn't raise rates if that's the only cause of inflation um, yeah. because you should just wait it out and then i think i think that yeah there's a lot of different paths that could go right you could have inflation be really high now and it drop away because we're rolling through um, the demand for physical goods and that could that could really crash the other way um, but then maybe we have some longer term drivers after that i guess we'll see one um inflation actually came up in another topic um for this week the omaha meeting of berkshire hathaway obviously the best i'd say the best investor in the history of the world definitely up there um had their annual meeting this weekend inflation came up and um yeah kev i think you you were chatting about this before the pod there was a question from a how old was it? it was it like a, a high school girl or something trying to get to give yeah, I start. think
1: she was like uh, <laughs> quite young. She's uh, she a pretty avid little uh, young investor. I think she's probably in early sort of high school. Got up and sort of asked Buffett and Charlie uh, a question. She kind of disguised it actually quite well. Like so, she sort of spoke about how inflation is kind of running rampant at the minute in the US. And then – Butted them up with you know how they'd invested through cycles of this throughout the 70s and the 80s, and then at the very end, sort of asked for a stock tip, basically of the best yeah, business so to, uh, buy? <laughs> to 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 handle through it. So um, I think Buffett was like, "You almost got us there at the very end," mm-hmm. but I think his his response was very interesting and and something like very wise words of wisdom there. Like he said. Basically, the, the best thing that you can do is to be exceptionally good at something. And I think it relates to, I guess, personal advice for her um, where she's you know finishing school and then maybe going into college and thinking about her career. And he basically said skills, unlike currency, are inflation proof. So if you have a skill that is in demand, it will remain in demand no matter what the dollar is worth. And he, he used an example of being sort of basically the best doctor or the best lawyer or the best trade in town right like if you're the best person in a suburb or a city or whatever like your skills are always going to be in demand and therefore your it kind of protects you against inflation in a lot of ways and then he sort of related that in towards like just exceptional businesses as well so like when when you are investing in a wonderful business that you know is the top dog is is dominating a market consumers are going to demand that regardless of the performance of the dollar and i think that's a it's a really good lesson for not only sort of career advice but sort of investing circles um like us Mm.
0: yeah i Mm. think that's a great takeaway kind of the quality defense i guess if you own a high quality business they can have pricing power, as we uh, often like to talk about um yeah no i Mm. think that's
2: wise one thing i it was a great answer from uncle warren Mm. um and i don't want to go against him in any way but you're about I mean, to take on Cali, things- so why not? <laughs> yeah, I'll take on one <laughs> god of investing at a time here. Yeah. I guess where where I you can't argue with it, but it it's like saying you know to be the best golfer you just need to hit lots of birdies and eagles. It's like yeah, okay, that's true. And I do feel for a lot, I imagine a lot of people in the Rust Belt of America, you know, don't have act, just financially disadvantaged, uh, socioeconomically disadvantaged. It's just like it's all good and well to sort of say, "I oh, just, hey, just be the best doctor in the village and you'll be fine. It's like, okay, a moment, through genetics or social situation or whatever, it's just, it's not, yes, g- g- is he wrong? No, he's not. He's absolutely right. But at the same time, not everyone in the world can be the best at everything. And, and I, I do one, I, I guess I'm coming at it more from a, social perspective here but i do i do feel for those people who who may not have the opportunity to be the best at something they're, they're going to get screwed over in that kind of environment
0: oh, it's a good it's a good point man probably probably could chat a whole episode and just that but i think um
2: you get into some politics pretty that, quickly
0: oh no it's <laughs> also like how the world's changed too because mm. if you it used to be you could be the best person in your village and that would be awesome and maybe even if you're the second best you'd still have work but now the village is the world for a lot of things, yeah. right? So if you say you want you you want to be a YouTube influencer, for instance, you need to be the best YouTube influencer, like up in that top zero point one percent, basically, because it, the whole world now is is one village for a lot of professions. It's not. Well, there imagine all if the way, Imagine but, if
2: there was only five, five finance podcasts in the world, including us. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. we would all be multimillionaires. Number one. Yeah, <laughs> <It> <laughs> turns out there's four hundred thousand finance podcasts. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> sort of to your point, right? Yeah, uh,
0: I think I think I think that's yeah, I think it's a it's a challenge for our times basically that you to be the advice to be the best in the world is good advice if you can mm. be it but um yeah, it's a struggle if you can't.
1: Yeah. M- yeah. More on that point. I think probably a couple of years ago I read on Twitter like it kind of defined this point of being just the best at something in a bit more detail. I think it's finding that intersection of almost like two things and they actually used Buffett as an example and was, I thought it was pretty interesting. Like they said, Buffett is trying to be the best investor but also the best sort of writer and speaker and teacher as well. So when you overlap those skills, you're sort of intersecting almost like a new market. So if you can be say the best doctor, maybe specialize in something else as well that it becomes easier to be the best in the world at that thing. For instance, being the best YouTuber, you might be specializing in technology or a certain niche of technology. It then becomes much easier to be the very best in that. And I think it's also like being very interested in that thing. Like You just get that natural growth curve in learning as well. So I think, yeah, lots of things there. I think in, in terms of like the motivation and fueling that into a niche, I think sort of helps your cause a lot better.
2: I was just going to say, Buffett made the point too that, that Gladwell's talked about this 10, I think it was Gladwell talked about the 10,000 hour thing, like put 10,000 hours in anything and you'll be really mm-hmm. great at it. And, and Buffett said, well, you know, I could put 10,000 hours into being the world heavyweight champion boxer. <laughs> and, you know, there, there are certain aptitudes you need to flex that, that are there too. So if, if you're going to be the best at something, try and pick something that you've, you've perhaps inherently got a little bit of an edge in to begin with.
0: Yeah, makes sense. While we're on the topic of Omaha, we've got to address uh, Charlie Munger taking a swipe. Here's the here's quote. In my life, I try and avoid things that are stupid and evil and make me look bad to some, compared to someone else. And Bitcoin is all three. <laughs> in the first place, it's stupid because it's likely to go to zero. It's evil because it undermines the Federal Reserve System. And third, it makes us look foolish compared to the communist leader in chi- China who was smart enough to ban Bitcoin in China. Hmm. Andrew, your response to
2: Charlie in this... <laughs> <laughs> so so here's here's the thing, like when Charlie talks i'm I'm the first guy to listen, right? like like what idiot like just dismisses the, this legend of investing and this polymath just out of hand? Not me, but the thing that frustrates me a bit with Charlie and Bitcoin is that he does a lot of hand waving, oh, it's stupid, it's going to zero, and that's it. Like, yeah. no, no, no like I, I'm really, really interested in your bear thesis. I really want to know. I'm, I'm i'm not you know what i mean it's just like but yeah. it, it's not it's just like it oh, it's i haven't heard him
0: unpack it basically and
2: yeah. everyone la- like everyone laughed at the berkshire hathaway rating. ha 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 you know and just you've got to go further than that it is equally dumb for a for a bitcoin maxi to go oh, i don't know it's going to a million dollars per coin and then just stop there like yeah. you, you've you've got to explain so that that would be my challenge to charlie and look he, to, I'm sure he does i'm sure he's got some really well-rounded thoughts on that i just i don't know if you guys have found it i've not been able to find it so if anyone's listening and they know what charlie's if he if he's, if he's ever offered any deeper thoughts on it I'm all ears i want to know but yeah. but j- just just for him to hand wave and say it's stupid is not enough for me
0: there's also um it's also kind of a weird comment around i think he just really likes China, like in the communist leadership there, yeah. like I'm surprised how often he's given them a free pass and stuff. I, remember, I think we talked about this before on the pod. The event where, where we were at, where he was like praising the um the anti-corruption efforts, where like you kill people that are corrupt or something, and he's like, "Yeah, that's really good." It's <laughs> like that's really great, and it's also it too. That. It's
2: like let's let's. I don't know. I feel as though he's. I've said this before. I feel as though he's just fundamentally wrong on China. It's like yeah, they've they've chased out. It's like with uh, we talked before, Matt about Russia. It's like. Yeah, there's always these corruption crackdowns when it's politically expedient for those that can leverage that, who Mm. themselves are incredibly crooked and corrupt. Mm. You know, it's not like anyone's getting rid of corruption. We're just using corruption as a tool to get rid of our political opponents. So, I, yeah, and and Charlie's not done, he's not covered himself in glory in China. I just feel as though he totally underestimates that sovereign risk for me personally. Yeah. So Charlie Munger, you know, bottom line, Charlie (laughs) Munger's wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Into Major. <laughs> <laughs> All right. If we if we can get uh
0: CNBC to do the cover, Andrew Page says, Charlie yeah, Like that's gonna happen. <laughs> Maybe jump in jumping around a bit to something. we I don't think we've talked about this one on the pod. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but Kogan, I don't think we've done a full episode on it. Um, had some news over over the last week or so. This is one that's kind of round tripped. And has gone, you know, become a darling during COVID. Um, got up to twenty five dollars. Now trading, I think, around three seventy or so. Um, is down again on this news. And the the news is basically sales have gone backwards. Sales are down about three point eight percent year over year. <laughs> Kogan's still talking about its two year Kager, which is getting a bit of flack for, which is nineteen percent growth over two years. I, I think a fair question. Can they keep using KG or Do the you know need to just start talking about numbers probably from this one going forwards? But yeah, so a, a big a big kind of round trip in terms of the market's um, affection for the stock, similar to other other stocks we've seen, commerce stocks like like Redbubble and Satire, Frankly, I guess the other news this time negative on EBITDA, gross profit down about eleven percent. There's another big inventory build, so they were expecting more growth than came through. Active customers were only up about three point six percent year over year, so yeah I guess it's it's just a challenging environment I mean in some ways you look at it and you think um, you know the multiple now is probably the lowest on a price of sales it's been in over several years you know the business is twice as large as it was before the pandemic started maybe this is a much larger business closer to scale et cetera I guess the difference now it's harder to own it when you can see it going backwards right like at what point does it return to growth has it kind of penetrate as much as it can um, one one bright spot. For me, I think in their strategy, Kogan First members were up 20% over the quarter to 345,000 people. Um, so Kogan First is like, kind of like Kogan's equivalent of Amazon Prime. Are you guys Prime? Amazon Prime Yes. Yep. Yeah. Both of you? Are you Kogan yep. First members? Nope. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> I do wonder what the numbers for Amazon Prime in Australia are. I wonder if amazon's already bigger than kogan first in australia but um if i was kogan or advising kogan i would definitely be playing up kogan first as aggressively as possible and just try and Mm. run the table get everyone in australia on kogan first like deeply subsidize it they can't they have like some pretty big drawbacks trying to compare to to amazon in terms of in terms of Kogan Fest. They can't. They don't think they can subsidize the shipping as well, and they also don't have video, which is like a nice perk of Amazon Prime. I don't know if you guys watch it. I was watching something on it last night. They have, yeah, a, it they have a Netflix yeah. version that comes yeah. with it. But the, the the advantage that Kogan or the path Kogan's going is they are trying to bundle a lot of stuff together. So you can get like a Kogan mobile phone. Do you remember like a year or two ago, they had an announcement every month of like another Kogan white-labeled service, whether it's like pet insurance or whatever Power else. A power, yeah. Yeah, I I guess the strategy is bundle all these things together, makes it sticky, give it like a cross sales discount and then you've got them there and once you have them on first, then they'll become more loyal. I think that's probably the best case for Kogan is to do that as much as possible and defend its turf. Um, But yeah, otherwise everything's not looking too great, I guess, going backwards.
1: It's just a hard space, I think. Like they're competing against the 400-pound gorilla um, and, and one that can lose money for such a long time, that being Amazon. And even they had a very tough quarter the last quarter, like, um, you know, rising fuel costs um, going to be hard as well for that, that sort of Kogan first membership where um, if they're getting free delivery, like, you know, it costs more. Um, with wages as well going up, I think two. I think only two of the segments uh, recorded growth. I think it was the third-party marketplace that were, that was up twenty percent, and then Mighty Ape, one of their acquisitions, was up thirty-five percent. But the the big headline was the slowdown in e-commerce activities, and across the bigger segments where it matters, like the core Cogan business, all of, all of those went down. And um, I think it's a it's a tough slog if you know, right now um, where consumer demand is much weaker than it was.
2: It's it's such the easy bear case, isn't it, Kev? Like, oh, Amazon, and that's what everyone's always said. But it's – I I still feel it's still like a really – <laughs> yeah, It point. still kind of works, yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> like – I feel as though it's too simplistic a bear case, but it's still yeah. – I'll put it out there. I, I think Kogan's not going to zero. It's a real business. It's a very impressive business. I mean, you know, Ruslan's gro- – I mean, revenues of something like – doubled in the last few years and he, he was just a genius like he he took all these component parts from China but put them together and now we could all buy like really cheap flat screen TVs and it was just just exploded and then to find growth he's added all these other kinds of things and it's done really really well I just think a big part of the problem was the market just extrapolating that weight. I mean, $25 was insane let's let's be honest with with all of that okay and let's annualize it Let's, let's look at the cake. Let's strip out the COVID effect and just look at it from the third quarter of 2020. It's like, still not that great. Strip out Mighty Ape and you've actually got something like 10% growth and still, still decent, still decent, but just like nowhere, no way did it deserve, I think the multiples that it did. And I think too, that it's kind of like, I think even in its heyday, a couple of years ago, you're sort of looking at three and a half percent net margins. So I kind of feel with Amazon, to come back to that point, it's kind of like, yeah, I'm sure I'm sure Kogan's around in 5, 10 years' time. I'm sure it's fine. I don't know yeah. if the top line will be as much. Like e- each incremental thing you add is sort of less and less valuable. So I just don't know if you can maintain that growth. And whatever revenue you do get, I just feel as though, for me, on a net basis, I feel as though 2% is probably about as good as it gets if if they mm. want to remain competitive. So, yeah, on Strongman, I added, I added some just – I always like to do the what-ifs. Well, let's assume this and let's try that. And it's kind of like, well, even if they grow at 10 like, – let let's pro-rata the first nine months. Let's grow that at 10% for the next few years. And let's give them a 2% margin at the end of the day in an in a average market multiple. You could of get a target price of 5 bucks. You know, yeah. it's sort of – it's like 7% per annum on average over that. It's still – I feel as though it, it's a bit of a value trap where it looks cheap, because of the 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 85% plunge in price since since the highs and the 60 odd percent 67% fall it's had in the last year so it kind of it looks like a value play but i feel as though it's it probably at it's probably a little bit overvalued if anything and if you want to be more aggressive in some of those assumptions it's probably okay value mm. and it's just we often talk about this asymmetry you sort of want in a, in an investment it's kind of like things can go really well for these guys and I might get 12, 13% sort of Kager as an investor over, you know, through to 2025. And if not, I've still got some potential downside. It's just, no, nah, not yep. for me.
0: Yep. No, fair call. Moving on to another one that we had covered before um, that I think you know pretty well, Andrew, is uh, Pointera, which we covered not too long ago, actually, episode 20, which I think seemed to have a, a, a more positive outlook, at least a, a lot of growth again. Um, Yeah, I'll, I'll jump. Uh, jump to you again, Andrew, if you don't mind. What were your thoughts on the pointeras up result?
2: Yeah, well, uh, really decent. Um, cash flow positive. Um, a one point nine US million dollar uplift in ACV from the preceding quarter, so thirteen percent from second to third quarter. That figure's doubled from a year ago, so it's really doing really well. So, so about twenty two, twenty three million dollars ACV in in Aussie dollar terms. So, you know, six and a half times multiple.
0: Is that the price to but- sales multiple?
2: No, uh, price to ACV multiple. Oh, yeah. Nice. Um, hopefully I got it right this time. Right? <laughs> last time I quoted the wrong, <laughs> the wrong multiple. I
0: mean, it had changed a lot over the last two months before we talked about it. Well, I mean,
2: this about- is this is what's interesting about it. I mean, it got to 90 cents and, I, you know, kind of on the record for saying oh, as much as I think it's a really interesting, decent business, I just think that was always kind of crazy and it's starting to look pretty darn interesting. I still got shares. I think it's one of those things where, I, okay. Step back from the numbers here. What was particularly fascinating for me is that they've had – the growth has come from uh, new customer wins, which is nice, um, but also from the growth in the existing customer spends, particularly in the utility space there, where it's not just the increasing scale that they're using it, but in, in scope, they're broadening that out too. There's some comment there as well as about sort of advocating for their peer group to sort of use it as become the standard in the industry. So it's that's that's encouraging if true because it means that the client acquisition costs are much much you've got people knocking on your door which makes it much more attractive. So I think that was all pretty positive. It it doesn't doesn't look hard because the it's such a low base which why the numbers are so low. But it doesn't seem hard for them to sort of add ten to twelve million AUD in ACV. Lots of acronyms there um, over the next few years. I I still I'm still pretty. Confident that this is a fifty million dollar revenue business around FY twenty five or so. So yeah, I, I thought it was I thought it was pretty good. Some people made some comments on strawman, which was interesting that the cash receipts are lagging the ACV even when you mm-hmm. sort of a, a, account for the, the time lag. Partly there's timing issues. They have been pretty consistent on this. So so some of their clients pay annually, some pay monthly. They've sort of been pretty clear that that's going to be the case. I think a lot of the recent implementations have sort of deferred a lot of rec, uh, cash being transferred as, as all the data is uploaded to their cloud, et etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, but it is something to watch. I think I think people were right to sort of notice that. But all in all, it seems as though the thesis is is playing out pretty well.
0: So they they cash flow positive in the quarter. Do you think that's like more of a timing thing, or what was there?
2: Yeah, look, I, yeah, you've got to be careful not to put too much weight on that, because again, these 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 customer receipts are definitely going to be really really lumpy. They've still got, I think, four or five million dollars cash in there. And they're very close to to break even. Ian uh, Olsen, the CEO, has been pretty clear that obviously he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to miss out on any growth opportunities. He's happy to spend for it, but I think he's he's got a pretty close eye on that cash burn. So there there, there was a period there, particularly for a lot of growth stocks, where it was like, you know, cash flow be damned. Let's just capture mm-hmm. the capture the, the territory. But yes. So question. Yeah, to I mean to their growth.
0: credit, they're growing very fast and, and sticking close to around zero, right? Even if yeah. they're even if they're not there. So
2: yeah. um, yeah, Which is what you want tough. to see, particularly in this current environment. I mean, the their cost of capital is a lot more now than it was at ninety cents. Obviously, yeah. Arguably, they should have done a huge raise at that point.
0: <laughs> I, I say it every time, man. I don't know why they why more don't. Um, I would, yeah. I think it's it's value even if you're a shareholder. Obviously, it's going to annoy you if you just bought it ninety cents and they do a capital raise at eighty, but it's probably frankly it's even in that person's favor because the valuation after that they have a lot of cash so um, true. it d- does depend what shareholders you bring on if you bring someone who's going to flip it and dump it it can trigger things yep. to go the wrong way but um yeah no, i think that's fair yeah one one company that isn't so close to break even that we have covered before as well is uh is dubber which we covered back in episode 13 if anyone wants to go in dig into the deeper analysis of it. Yeah, Kev, you took a bit of a look at this one. What were your thoughts on the the quarterly result?
1: Yeah, I think it's a good segue as well that you just mentioned. because Double is a business that they did raise a whole bunch of money uh, when mm. the valuation was flying a lot higher than it currently is. Like I think shares are around sort of a dollar seven at the minute, so it gives it about a three hundred twenty-five million dollar market cap. But I think earlier in the years, like three, four bucks, I think um, they got up to maybe even higher. But I think the the key things from the the latest quarter was I cut you
0: off. they have a hundred million or ninety seven million of cash at the end of yeah, the yeah
1: yeah so they raised one hundred and ten mil back in July at two dollars ninety five, um, so it's a uh, the shares are down a lot since then but the the business is well capitalized. A
0: hundred mil of cash keeps should keep you going for a while, right? That's that's a totally big totally
1: right. yeah. So they burnt um, about. Ten million in the latest quarter. Um, That's on top of about another million in CapEx as well. So, And I think the investment in growth in the business is best seen by the rise in employee uh, in the business. So that's grown from 160 to 260 people now just from 12 months earlier. So you can see the staff costs now are about sort of 9.1 million just for the quarter. Pleasingly, the growth is coming. So the ARR is up 62% and that's another 5 million uh, in the quarter that they've added. So that's 55.1 million of ARR now. So it's trading at about six times ARR. Revenue was up uh, another 40%. So they added 900,000, sorry, 900 to 9.25 million in the quarter. So that's now revenue is about 33.7 million for the Last 12 months, it's about 9.6 times uh, revenue. Back when the price was flying, and I think everybody was sort of in into the into the stock and it was the into the hype cycle. I think it was trading at around 106 times revenue. So this is um, for a business that you know it, its unit economics are still there to be found in the market so far. Like I think that because they're burning so much money, their margins aren't super high at a gross margin level. I think it's just, I guess, the market just being just overly excited for a business that was growing very fast. So the the subs are still growing, added uh, plus 39% uh, year on year, so up to 540,000. But yeah, as we said, the business is well capitalized. I think going back to it, it, it's almost like we we spoke in an earlier episode about Howard Marks um, and his letter. Um, In another letter, he sort of wrote about how share price is psychology times the fundamentals and i think that's sort of perfectly exampled in in dubba right here because at the time if you you know rewind 12 months like the business was growing really really fast it was kind of the the new business that not many people had heard about um, people got super excited they did a couple of acquisitions raised a bunch of money and i think people became really optimistic. They became really confident in the business. And then also the market got pretty greedy as well. And I think mm. that as that price sort of rises and rises and rises, I think it's it's, really, it's a really really good point for investors just to have a look at the fundamentals and what's actually going on in the business, especially if they're not producing any free cash flow at all.
0: Yeah. I mean, I can think of a few businesses where if they market cap was share was it sentiment times fundamentals then the market cap would be zero because the fundamentals is zero. <laughs> you multiply by zero you get zero and they're still up so i'm not sure i completely agree but i get the gist of what he's trying to say um of the influence that sentiment has um old howard marks i think um yeah i think the biggest thing when i look at dubbers you mentioned it there with gross margin but you can kind of see it in the um the cash flow number as well they had 8.5 million of cash receipts and 7.2 million of Manufacturing and operating costs, and that's before you get to the staff and admin of another ten million. But Mm. that, if you look at that on a cash flow basis, it kind of makes a margin look really small, right? Like if you think of the operating costs related to revenue, there's not much daylight between those two numbers, um, which means you would need to have a really high, a really large amount of ARR, or you'd need that that gap to widen. And I guess that's been my concern with the businesses whether the biggest concern is just is this ever going to be a significant margin business and maybe there's some more reasons for that but I guess that's what I'd want to see it actually start flowing through is that gap between those two numbers widening so that you can have a hope of covering your um, your fixed costs but yeah a lot of cash I mean that's what 300 million market cap with um with uh, hundred million of cash is not too common to see um, I guess it maybe maybe it will be a bit more common um, these days but yeah, I think it's I think it's an interesting one for that regard. Did you have any thoughts on this one, Andrew?
2: No, but I am I'm keen to. I think after we did the um, discussion, um, someone from the company reached out and sort of said, "Oh, you, you may have missed some points there." And, and oh, the was under- it from
0: case. the company? Sorry, I didn't realize. Yeah, okay. it might have
2: uh, investor relations potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, well, there's a
0: note, and there's a, what made me think is there's a page in here where they talk about um, they talk about their ARR and um, just kind of defend the ARR to revenue. Things. I did wonder, like, was that related to our podcast?
2: But Yeah. yeah. Well, look, again, I'd like to think we've got that influence, but I'm realistic <laughs> in that we probably don't. And hey, um, man,
0: you're swinging the property market. <laughs> that's <is different>
2: right. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, 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 I'm actually always genuinely interested in the other side of the debate. I'm absolutely more than prepared. I mean, there, as we said at the time, I mean, Dubber has just achieved some spectacular sales growth and there's a lot of things to be impressed by. And I'm open to 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 something that's that's perhaps not obvious. So, if uh, if anyone from the company is listening, um, we'd we'd love to have a chat and 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 get get to the truth of it if 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 we're off base.
0: Yeah, great, cool, hundred percent, hundred percent. Maybe we maybe we'll jump around a little bit. Another one that we'd well, another topic we've been interested to chat about a bit that's been in the news was um was your mate Mike Cannon Brooks. Uh, <laughs> Definitely, I, I read the book that you recommended, which is somewhat related to this topic, which uh, we can get into in a sec. But Mike Cannon-Brooks is buying... How much did he buy, actually, Andrew? He's got control oh. of eleven percent of AGO Energy, which 10 mentioned before the pod, through some derivative structure. Maybe just run us through, like, what's he what's he up to? What's what's going on?
2: Well, don't that? don't ask me to explain how he's done it because it starts getting into all kinds of sort of esoteric sort of instruments. It's just way above my pay grade. But it basically, he's effectively got an eleven percent economic interest. It makes him the largest shareholder. He is doing that ostensibly at least initially to block the proposed demerger and as everyone knows AGL is splitting their business into the retail uh, part of the business and the generation part of the business which is full of horrible stranded assets that are probably worth 0 to my <laughs> to my mind
0: there's a lot and of coal powered g- generators basically right
2: very old coal like let's 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 be honest if you were to build a coal fired power station today it'd be far more efficient and less polluting than the ones that they're running you know they're just, they're gotcha. just yeah, that is important because
0: there are, yeah, there's in Korea and stuff, there's some in Japan, I think there's some which emit a lot less of the bad yeah. different different problems, yeah. I
2: mean, here's the – so the book you were referencing before is The Big Switch, I've talked about it before. I mean, I just – I always – you feel as though you get dragged into some ideological sort of climate debate in it, and I just want to right at the start put that aside because the point of the book and the point where Mike's sort of coming from is like, forget all of it. I mean, let's not forget it. It's kind of important for life on Earth, but, you know, Let's forget about it because the reality is is that the, given the, the cost of generation from renewables and everything and the, the direction of that slope, it's already more more cost-effective on a pound-for-pound pound basis uh, and likely to end up being far more cost-effective. So his, his argument is that a, a an integrated AGL is able to transition away from this much quicker, is able to deliver uh, power much more reliably, much cheaper, and much cleaner. And he's look, he's in, he's like Elon <laughs> in a way, you know. When you're that rich, you can kind of do stuff that's not purely for economic intent. But he's very much on the record of saying, "I'm not here to lose money," right? So I, mm-hmm. I I feel as though he he's he's probably starting from a point of, "Hey, let's let's do some good for the world." But at the same time, I'm not I'm not in the business of burning money. So I I, I I'd say this: we don't know really. Obviously, with the al- two alternate futures, but what we can say. As fact is that the current board has overseen just devastation of shareholder capital over a long period of time. Just just bring up the share price, bring up the cash flows. You know they've they've done a terrible, terrible job. Tough industry, tough environment. Yep, get all of that. But uh, it's not as though th- these people have, have have earned any. Have covered themselves in glory. And when it comes to the plan of how you take this business forward, you've got a very sharp. Forward thinking person in Mike Cannon Brooks, and you've got an old dinosaur lady <laughs> board who's just done nothing but destroy value. And uh, allegedly, I don't know if I need, if I, by saying that, I avoid it. <laughs> I think you should have said allegedly a little while ago. <laughs> <laughs> <Whatever>. <laughs> um, I've got to say, if they're coming after us on this podcast, is like, it's just, it's just another like reason as to, like, seriously, that's what you're going to focus on instead of like trying to do better by your shareholders. Anyway, so I, I'm 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 Team Mike. Go Mike. Yeah. I, I hope he I hope he wins. I hope if anyone out there is in the unfortunate situation of holding AGL shares, vote against the Mojar. And uh, because because yeah, it's yeah. He, look he hasn't he hasn't expressly laid out as far as I've seen like the the plan as to how he would sort of run that. And it's going to be a tough job. It's going to be a really really hard job. It's going to involve huge amounts of investment and the rest of it. But he, I think he's basically said they're very competitively advantaged given the networks and everything that they have and the customer base and that there's just a better way forward. And, and I, yeah, as I say, I tend to back in yeah. over the people who have demonstrably destroyed value.
0: I think he's bowing the customer base, right, as the argument. And he wants to put in maybe batteries and sustainable power generation using the network that they have and the customer relationships that they have. In his tweet, his mini tweet storm about it, he mentioned that AGL emits more carbon than New Zealand. And like Sweden and a couple of other countries, but um, yeah, it's sort of just kind of crazy to say. Biggest I guess the in the bit, country, but, yeah, yeah.
2: I think you can wrap up BHP, Qantas, and a few others, and there's still AGL, still more.
0: Yeah, wow. Which I mean, I guess is a bit unfair of them. They're also powering, like they power half the country, and that's that's part of
2: what's going. Oh, on we're right, all but, part of it. Yeah, yeah it's, exactly. We're it's a societal thing. Let's not be too unfair. We can say, oh you're really evil." And but by like, the way, I, I do like having the lights turn on. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And the book we're referencing is called The Big Switch, as Andrew, I think, mentioned by Saul Griffith, great, um, great which I do think is definitely worth a read. And on the cover, that's why we're linking the two, there's a quote from Mike Cannon Brooks, which says, about effing time, we have an actual plan written down that can be executed and financed. In a decarbonized world, Australia is a winner. The opportunity now is ours for the taking. So the, the book's basically like the... I'd put it as like the bull case for clean energy and the economy, kind of like that australia because we have for a few different reasons but basically because we've got a lot of sunlight that's probably the biggest one we could build a lot of land yeah Um, a lot of land a lot of sunlight we could build a a heap of solar basically and become a net exporter of energy whether it's in electricity or the things that energy produces this is some of the green hydrogen although the book's not big onto hydrogen but other stuff like directly shipping power through the sun power cable etc
2: Think of the value add. One of the points that I stuck out to me was that we we dig up iron ore and we ship it other places that turn it into steel, predominantly China. Hmm. Imagine green steel production because we've got an excess of ele- of free energy essentially um, once set up. It's just or producing aluminium, yeah. very energy intensive process, and doesn't you know the sun doesn't always shine, the wind doesn't always blow, as ScoMo likes to remind us. Like, yeah, but that's cool. We can, but when it is, <laughs> we can make we can make these these metals in a way that gives us a huge comparative advantage over other economies. So we, we could, instead of just sort of digging up the bauxite and raw materials and letting other people capture most of the value add in that chain, we could be doing it ourselves. So it, there's there's a very strong environmental angle to it all. But again, forget that there's just money to be made. And we mm. as a nation could be so much stronger, more secure, richer, if we just embrace it, and make the big decisions. And that's that's why that's why I like Mike. Like,
0: yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that could be a um, that's a
1: bumper sticker right there. I
0: like Mike. <laughs> I like Mike. I
2: do.
1: Can I ask? I guess the dumb question here. Like, you know, I haven't followed this very closely at all. Uh, why is he going this route through AGL and maybe not just investing in pure green energy? Like, why wouldn't he use the capital that he's? doing uh bidding for agl and just start a new venture is it because he sort of sees the value in the network and the assets that can't that he can sort of revamp or refurbish or just do it run it in a better way is that the the is that the it's main a great question
2: kev it, it, yeah i think that's part, it's, it's the inherent sort of the advantages of the incumbent i mean it's it's by far the biggest retailer it's got mm-hmm. it's got all the other assets that go around it so I believe that's the case. And let's be clear. I'm, I'm sure he is it's not it's not as I said he's not out to lose money, but it's not mm-hmm. it's not a it, the plan is not driven entirely by finances. It's he's very much coming at it from a let's do some good angle as well. So I, I think it's he wants he wants to do it in a way that yeah, gets AGL to stop being such a big meter yeah, as it's, quickly it's like as possible. Yeah. It's like an impact
0: investing thing, isn't it, yes. right? Because let's say I'd you started say. a new solar company and the mm-hmm. solar that they produce was like 10% cheaper than existing electricity. <clears throat> As we know from like switching costs and lock in, it's still really hard to win a market if you're just 10 or even 20% cheaper. Like that's why a lot of tech innovation always wants to be like 10 fold better, right? We have to put a mm-hmm. 10 times better mm-hmm. product. So, if you do that path, it could take decades. I guess this would be, I imagine, his argument. It could take decades to win that over. Whereas if you buy the incumbent and aggressively change the incumbent, you kind of do, Mm. you solve both at once. You like could directly stop the emissions and, and switch them over. So, yeah, you kind of turn that weakness of not having the infrastructure and the distribution into an asset in your favor of the change that you're trying to drive. So, I guess that'd be the bull case.
2: Nicely said, Matt.
0: Yeah, and I, I think that the stuff that I like about the book, there's some, I think that, I was Jen Andrew, there's some where I think they're a bit like wave some of the challenges we have today around battery storage and storage. stuff. But what, what I like about it was two things. One, it's like an abundance mindset, not a scarcity mindset. So I think a lot of pushback, a lot of us have to... Um, the more extreme environmentalists is the idea that we have to stop doing everything. Like we shouldn't mm. take showers and you know fly mm. overseas. I eat like eating showers, and, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like eating normal, like food that's not insects. That's always and a good. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> thing, yeah, exactly. So, um, but the idea of this is that it would be abundant energy. That's the that's the future that, that I guess yeah. they're they're working towards and pitching. Is we have so much energy, we're washing that we can do a lot with it. And I think that's a really cool, like that's a bold, it's awesome vision for the
2: future. Yeah.
0: If you talk about young people vision. being depressed about climate change, that's like a very exciting future. Like, imagine if we had abundant energy. So, yeah, the, Elon,
2: Elon cool. said recently in that uh, TED talk, right? It's like we mm-hmm. are headed for a, a world of, of massive abundance. Yeah. And mm-hmm.
0: you know, yeah, I like it. On. We can all get on board with that one. Um, and they sketch out one other thing is just they talk a lot about cost decline curves, which is an important mm-hmm. part. You shouldn't look take the world as it is. We are forward looking. We should always be, as tech investors, particularly. Or growth investors, so I like that idea. So if solar is falling twenty percent every time you double production, you can kind of then map that forward to what that means, and that's kind of where it, where it's coming from. Yeah, but yeah, exciting one to, one to follow.
2: Let's do it. Maybe we'll Let's get
0: Mike it. on the pod, eh? Do you want to give him a call, coin? Yeah,
2: I'll, I'll I'll put out. I'll get my get <laughs> my people text. to get in touch with his people. and yeah. we'll make it happen. You can give us a pitch. Maybe
0: um, you can do it on my yacht. We'll see, see we can. <laughs> You're just going all in on that. The um, I'm sure he's got a much nicer yacht than even one. Yeah, maybe we'll imagine. do it on his yacht.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, sounds good. Well, maybe very much on the on the smaller end to wrap Andrew one that we um to covered before and right, way back in our first episode uh, episode one was ava Risk. Oh, is that the um, first one? okay i think so yeah do you want to give us the um update on the latest kind of results outlook from that one
2: yeah i think it was a good result um that's <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's
0: always a way when you're not, when you're not sure right i
2: just look i you can take two angles of this is that management are being very vague for nefarious reasons or they're just not really great communicators but it's sort of like what they did was they reported third quarter sales orders of $2.8 million. And uh it's hard to compare from a year ago because last year they were talking about revenue, not sales orders. So all of a sudden we're we're sort of moving the goalposts here, which really is a huge bugbear for me when companies aren't consistent in their reporting. And then they did this year to date thing. So year to date, we had sales orders of 13 million, which is 17% higher than a year ago. 17% growth. That's that's really decent. I really like that. Excluding the industry. The excluding the Indian Ministry of Defense. They had this big contract with the with iMod and it's lovely hundred percent margin stuff. Really great, really great deal for the company, but it was sort of this one-off kind of thing. And so when you kind of got to really squint, it's like it's hard to make an effective quarter-on-quarter comparison. In between all of that, they divested the services division. So like, okay, I gotta sort of normalize for that and then take out the Indian Ministry of Defense. <laughs> it's just like you kind of got to try and carve it up 50 different ways. So they've got guidance for the full year of something like 32 million in revenue. If you only want to look at the technology division, which is the only one that is remaining after they spun off the other one, that's that's revenue of about 21 million dollars. Uh, that compares to 24.7 million in FY21. So we yeah, don't actually. Wait a sec. We've got a 14% drop in 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 revenue. It's like okay but then again maybe we should strip out the indian ministry of <laughs> defense and now we've got a now we've got a like for like revenue growth of 25% you know so choose your own adventure i suppose it's like mm. i am i look disclosure i've got shares i do feel as though you've got a really interesting business with some management that have delivered some really great returns on the investments that they've made have been a bit slow in bringing some of their new products to market. aura IQ is the big one which is always just around the corner and says like hasn't happened yet and still it hasn't happened but they're now saying in the near term but if if you want to sort of the lens I sort of look at it is you've got a business that is got far better economics than what it previously had it's got good established product with good traction good runway as I say core growth in that segment of 25 percent it's part of the um BQT, which does sort of the advanced lock segment, they've got this new international distribution agreement. So we've saw some good uplift there as their partners bulked up their inventory and whole new market that they've got access to as well. They are very much on the lookout for these other license, like, like just licensing the technology as they did with the Indian Ministry of Defense. So if they can get a couple more of those, you've got a real extra couple of good kicks on top of all of that. And uh, yeah, for all of that, you've got a business that's you know probably on about two and a half times sales or so. So I, I'm I'm still positive. I guess there's a lot to unpack in that that verbal diarrhea that I just gave you all. But but that's kind of the frustrating thing of it. It was very kind of I, I, I had to I was really had to I thought, I'll write a bit of an update for straw man. <laughs> I spent like two hours varying going between different reports and trying to sort of tease it all apart. It was it was if I had a criticism for management, it was like Goodness sake, guys! Just spell it out in a much clearer way, or, or maybe yeah. I'm just not smart enough to have, to have to have looked at it clearly. But
0: or maybe it's just really complex. Maybe they're just <clears throat> it is just that is something you have to think about twelve different variables at once to understand. I guess is a challenge, right?
2: Well, others have said others uh, investors that I very much respect on strawman have sort of said, "Look, Andrew, the fact that it is confusing, the fact that they have overpromised in the past, like there's your answer, right? That, that's that's your answer right there." That you they've ever promised? Yeah, well, particularly in the Aura IQ, kind of. It's a really interesting product, uh, sort of conveyor belt monitoring system using fiber optics, similar to what they do with their FFT segment. Again, mm-hmm. go listen to the first episode, we'll tell you more about it. But, but um, you know, it's kind of always just about to hit and it's always this huge market opportunity, et cetera, et cetera. And it, it does look very promising, but, you know, for me once, you know, shame on you, for me. 200 times <laughs> on me I might be being than that. Not like st-
0: classic George Bush fumbling yeah. it on the second part yeah. the point <laughs> you is you them. can't fool me again fool, fool get one soon get fooled again
1: quick one have they Sort of mention why there has been a delay with that product launching.
2: So they're they're doing it in. They've got a, a big mining partner that they're looking to do it with. They've got these fire control systems along these conveyor belts that that use fiber optic. So one of the cool things about the tech is that you can use existing fiber. You don't have to lay lay fresh fiber to 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 be able to implement this this. System and these systems will detect breakages and that, so it's huge potential cost mm. saving. And you know, when one of these conveyor belts goes down for a mine, it just costs so much money. So they're very, very big return on investment potential for them. But they, they, the person they're working with said, "Hey, it'd be better if you could sort of integrate it with all of that." It's so like, okay, well, let's go and test that. In the end of the third quarter, they said they, actually, they did that. They completed that work. It looked as though it was good. The quote was based on this successful integration, again referring to the fire control systems, purchasing approvals within the global mining company have recommenced and are expected to be completed within Q4. Uh, we will see.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've, it says something, I think, when, you know, professional investors are struggling to, understand all the moving parts how hard it is for you know an individual who's got a full-time job not looking at this as much time as we do to try and unpack it i've looked at it a couple of times i've I've come away just it's it's so complex for me to get my head around and i do think there's something to simplicity it's kind of a more generic statement but just a, a quote that i really like i'm not sure i'm quoting exactly but is simplicity scales so hmm. it's just so much easier to build a business that is repeatable and, and growing. I know that the kind of value, this is more like a value style investment, right? So it's not so much about growth, but just that once you have something that's really simple and repeatable, it's so much easier to build a process around it and, and scale it up and, and it can be easier for investors. The, the flip side is sometimes complex things can be. Can work out great because everyone's too afraid of it, and that's that's where you can have opportunities as well. But
2: I think that's that's where I rationalise it to myself, and whether I'm doing it reasonably or not is up for debate. But it's kind of like within that complexity that that is the potential as to why the market is missing the opportunity. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> whether that's true, whether it's just like whether it should be the cold hard slap on the face to say wake up and you know, <laughs> will time will time will tell.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, maybe we wrap it there. Gents, that was a it was a great episode um thanks everyone for tuning in if you enjoyed the podcast we'd love if you left us a five-star rating on uh on itunes and if you had any questions or thoughts feel free to drop us a line you can email us at babygiantspodcast at gmail.com or on twitter at babygiantspod um, and if you have any questions aside from like a company to cover if you have any uh, maybe we do a mailbag episode if we go to get a few questions coming through or something like that Thanks very much for listening, everyone. Great to have you. Great to have you back, Kevin. Great to chat again.
1: Cheers, guys. Great to see you. Cheers.